0: Help my DTC grow, strategies and quick wins that build up 8-figure DTC brands. How can personalization accelerate your e-commerce growth? Join David, founder of Made with Intent and the author of the Personalization Paradox, as he dissects the art of personalization in e-commerce, learn from his extensive experience including the creation and successfully acquisition of user conversion. A leading CRO consultancy. This podcast will delve into personalization from understanding your audience's intent to strategic implementation, always with a focus on empathy and ethical practices. In this podcast, you will get the answers to the pivotal questions. How can businesses navigate the hype surrounding personalization and develop practical strategies to deliver meaningful and impactful personalized experiences for their customers? How can businesses differentiate between personalization and recommendations? And why is it important to understand the distinction? How to start with personalization? And how would it solve the growth of your brand? And of course, I'm here to help your DTC brand grow, so I ask all my favorite questions at the end. Books to read, mistakes to avoid, quick growth tips and tools to use. Now let's get ready! Maybe I would start with a rather not provocative question but you end your book with this question and maybe I will quote from your book, that as a consumer of personalized experiences, I just wanted to be heard, listened to, cared for, and cuddled. As a practitioner, I am taught to exploit, extract, and prey on the vulnerable. These two sides seem misaligned with one another, creating that ever present personalization paradox, the hero versus the villain. So what is this personalization paradox, and how can we put a person back in personalization? So you you wrote a book about that, so just summarize it in 10 sentences, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Maybe it would be rather hard. Yeah, 80,000 words in 10 sentences is pretty difficult. Look, for me, I feel as though personalization has lost its original meaning. I feel as though corporations trump or focus too much on immediacy of revenue, and therefore they use personalization as a tactic in order to achieve that thing. And do not get me wrong, personalization does Increase revenue. There's far too much evidence behind that to refute it. Uh, McKinsey state that the average ROI is 10% increase in revenue, for example, but they also state that they brands who do personalization can get a 30% increase in customer satisfaction. And it is that that I feel has been lost. The reasons why we do personalization to satisfy customers. It's this person on the end of the screen that I feel we are missing. We need to focus nothing on but the revenue. So my aim is to describe not just why we need to put the person back into personalization, but also how. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? How could
0: we put the person
1: back in personalization?
0: What could be crucial and the most important thing about that? Talk with customers before we try to
1: personalize our efforts or or something else? Well, yeah, it's all about listening and context, for goodness sake. If we take it back to what we're trying to do as brands, which is to sell, okay? What happened in the early 19th century is that Chinese railway laborers were complaining day and night of backache and joints and arthritis because they were toiling away. And so they used snake oil to cure all those ailments, and they described it as a panacea. What they did is that they sold those to the to the Europeans uh, with counterfeit claims that they were doctors, with overhyped marketing as to how this was indeed a panacea, and so they coined the term snake oil salesman. Since that, the evolution of relationship marketing came about with Dale Carnegie in 1936, or Brian Tracy in 1986, where they spoke about how we need to sell by understanding the other person's problems and pitching ourselves differently to address those problems. Why have we lost that? It feels as though brands are snake or salesman, assuming that everybody is ready to buy, assuming that the 2% that will convert applies to everybody. These persuasive techniques of pop-ups where there's five left in stock or 10 people are looking at this feels inappropriate, don't you think? So, I mean, my answer to the question is we just need to listen more, understand more about the customer and the other person on the other side of the screen. Just as Dale Carnegie wrote about nearly 90 years ago. Yeah, I completely agree that maybe
0: online merchants also could learn about brick and mortar stores, how to connect with people and how to personalize
1: their approach. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you probably your listeners have all been in a boardroom before where the most senior exec will probably say, how do they do it in stores? or imagine we were in a store. There's a reason behind trying to translate this virtual simulation into real life. It's because we need to practice how we sell in real life and translate that over to here. And there's one ingredient missing. It's, it's a difficult ingredient, but there's only one. And it's just listening more. It's not push, 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 push to the masses. It's Tell me about yourself and your needs. And we've come a little bit of the way in the form of product quizzes, for example, in the form of recommendations, but it's not enough. I think, you know, there's more to life than just finding the right product. It's about selling the right products as well. And what do you think? How can businesses navigate the hype surrounding personalization
0: and develop practical strategies to deliver meaningful and impactful personalized experiences for their customers?
1: Well, currently the way people see personalization is just about this finding element. It's just about recommendations usually. Uh, that's how people translate personalization, personalization equals recommendations, recommendations equals personalization. And we must all thank Reed and Jeff at Netflix and at Amazon for teaching us those ways, you know, that they've come top down as to we're the best at personalization, but we don't really do personalization. We do recommendations, but therefore you should all do personalization as well. I feel as though that is a very insular way of looking at things. If we think about how we consume products as buyers. Finding a product is one quarter of the overall experience. There's a model created over 100 years ago called the ADA model which is about awareness, interest, desire, and action. And really, recommendations only addresses one, one quarter of those of those acronyms so for me i think we need to be thinking less about recommendations and more about personalization in its truest sense how to be personable with one another you know can i address you by your first name i think it's a really good step familiarity starbucks do it all day you know howard schultz famously said they're not a coffee company they are a people company that serves coffee i think that's a really nice first step so think about familiarity acknowledgement helpfulness, sincerity, authenticity, vulnerability, transparency. And you know, these are communicative ways. So how can
0: businesses differentiate between uh, personalization and recommendations that you mentioned that Netflix does? really recommendations and not personalization and everybody's caught up with that and why is it important to understand this uh, distinction
1: well personalization is all about the first three syllables of the verb personal i don't think it's terribly difficult it's just hard to simulate online in a person to screen relationship so the way i'd interpret your question is that the there's two forms of how we interact as humans in a human-to-human relationship and how we trust each other. And it's been found in a study by Malone and Fisk, two researchers, that the way those two attributes also translate over to a human-to-brand relationship. And do you want to know the, what those two attributes are? They are care and competency. So can you help and will you help are two really important attributes. As an example, if I see a dark figure in an alley immediately I'm thinking, can that person hurt me? Are they big and I don't know, tall and strong? And will they hurt me? What are their intentions with me? And the same applies, but the adverse and in a human to brand relationship, I see recommendations as a form of competence, not necessarily a form of care, i.e. they can help. They are helping me solve a problem, but do they want to help? Do they demonstrate help? Uh, An example being Amazon Recently, got fined just last year, nine hundred million euros for pushing products in their recommendations that they want to sell, not that we as consumers want to buy. So they were artificially biasing their own algorithm based on product margins. So I think this notion, this difference between care and competence, is really the difference whether you're personalizing or whether you're just recommending. Why want more people? does personalization is it
0: too hard to do that or or they don't find the value or the results so uh,
1: easily in it i asked everybody this and found loads of different answers gartner cited that data accessibility management collection privacy restrictions that's the number one barrier behind personalization there's also technology the fact that technology can't quite keep up with the the need to personalize it's pushing us down a direction of general optimization rather than more segmented or personalized approaches so that's that's like one area i would call like technological dragon almost then there's the commercial side of things which is that brands just want to make a quick book they prefer immediacy over long-term roi lifetime value you know retention that type of thing and personalization does not give you that. It gives you a quick bump, technically speaking, in revenue, if the studies are to be believed. And from my experience, certainly. But the true meaning behind personalization is retention. It's just not fast enough. It's not quick enough for companies and brands. So they they revert back to recommendations. So that's like the commercial dragon. But the biggest dragon, the biggest of all of them, is the human dragon. Ironically, it's the person in personalization that we need to put back into personalization, but it's the person in personalization that prevents personalization from succeeding. It's us, it's humans, it's practitioners, it's brands. We have ego, we have greed, we have self-serving needs, but most of all, we hate effort. Goodness me, it takes so much effort to focus on 10 segments than one segment. As an example, you have to work 10 times as hard in order to do that. And we just hate it. So the notion of AI will really help us, I feel, because it will remove that effort barrier or the perception of effort. You know, content has always been an issue, for example, creating content for different segments so for, for personalization purposes. Well, AI can now, you know, give you a picture of New York skyline in the the artistry of Vincent van Gogh. So I'm pretty sure it can help us with personalization. Yeah, put AI in personalization and it will be more personal. Yeah, it, it it's a bit of
0: contradictory. It's personal <laughs> ai There's 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 some wordplay there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to say, say the same joke, but... <laughs> What do you think, what could brands do to incorporate these ideas of personalization? So maybe hire one person to do all the work with personalization or use AI with a mixed strategy and not just product recommendation, but uh, I don't know, fill it up with four more strategies and you're done and personalization is okay.
1: I think for me, you know, I'm talking about putting the person back into personalization. So I'm talking about increasing care and keeping your competence level at the same amount. So, how can you increase care, improve on care for your customers? Um, for me, it's, it comes down to just purpose. How do you align as not just a senior leadership team, but how does that trickle down into everything that you do to ensure that the reasons why you're doing what you're doing are for the good of the customer and not necessarily for the benefit, or I'm going to say, the exploitation of the business itself. So, you know, why are we doing? Why are we making recommendations? Why are we recommending things to customers? If your answer on paper is to help them, but in reality it's to get more of a margin from, from them, I don't think that's that's rooted in authenticity. That's not rooted in care. So for me, it just all comes down back down to purpose. Are you being purposeful in your practicing of personalization (laughs) a lot of peas
0: would you say that it is just a big players game or anybody for example for d2c brands also could do that with one or five people or maybe they did it at first personalized everything and want to help people and they forget it when they were big and they became
1: big well if you think about it the two best people in personalization uh, the rich and the elite and also the proletary, you know, the people, the mom and pop shops, the, the people who really care about their customers because they understand that their customers pay their bills. So the stores and Etsy are probably some of the best people at personalizing because they really care about uh, and are thankful genuinely and authentically about the person purchasing one of their products. And in terms of the rich and elite, you can simulate that through algorithms and through a hell of a lot of data, you know, a la Netflix, a la Facebook, a la TikTok, whatever it might be, through, uh, through just a hell of a lot of money and resource. Everyone in between, which is the majority of us, nobody's really good at personalizing. I mean, let me ask you, cause I asked 153 experts this very question. Hmm. Who do you think is good at personalization? Do you have anyone in mind? People who care. People who care. Great answer. Really good answer. I agree. Maybe, yeah, with
0: big brands like Dove for the women.
1: Dove is a good example. Bloom and Wild is something I I often come up with. Uh, Gusto, the UK meal kit retailer, I've worked with them before. I think they genuinely care as well. Um, Whenever there's a purpose, like an origin story, why we're doing what we're doing, I think it's really important. So, for example, the purpose of personalization for the New York Times is different than it is for, I don't know, Coca-Cola for example. And once you authentically recreate that, or use strategies in order to adhere to that purpose, I think that's when you become good at personalization.
0: Will there be any ethical challenges of AI-powered personalization or any other
1: personalization efforts? Of course. That have been for years. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of how Target, and this was about 20 years ago now, but how Target, the uh, retailer in the US, targeted... Found out who is pregnant? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a famous story. What you don't know about that story, what's often misunderstood about it is that when they found out that they got caught as it were or that it was slightly unethical what they did is they kept the same algorithm but instead of showing say nine baby products they showed six baby products like a lawnmower washing machine and a chair just to show that they weren't always listening to you you know they're not that overt so yeah i I I think there are always going to be bad practices. I mean Scott Galloway is the one that said AI won't take our jobs, humans use an AI, AI will. And I believe in that world where at the end of the day humans are coding the natural or inherent or not biases that exist within these platforms that will mean that whatever you are being served in terms of a content or a product in a, in a recommendations environment will be the result ultimately of the human who started that chain of events, not the AI. For example, when Amazon got fined $900 million for pushing products that they wanted to sell, I don't think that was a... a a conscious decision by some something, AI, that doesn't have a conscience. That was clearly done by a human. It was a known decision. So yeah, I think it's really dangerous. I think you know, there's a quote by Eli Parizia, who's an author all the way back in 2011, that spoke about this concept of filter bubbles, whereby... The internet is being crafted in a world, they're creating content that they want us to see, not that we want to see. And it's so creating these filter bubbles and you can see the polarization in the US of the left versus the right, even the UK in decisions such as Brexit. And it is unfortunately machine learning algorithms personalization per se that is uh, that is facilitating that behavior
0: i just thought about the thing that uh, maybe segmentation and personalization of course they are not the same thing but the difference is between segmentation and personalization that the bubbles are much more bigger at segmentation than in personalization so there will be much more bubbles or much heavier bubbles,
1: I don't know how to rephrase it. I think that's a misconception. So I think this comes back down to what is the definition of personalization. And I feel as though there is a known difference between segmentation and personalization. There's a study that was released last year with a group of researchers that did what's known as a bibliographic study of 383 academic papers on the concepts of personalization and they too found a difference between segmentation and personalization and that difference is basically context it's the omission of context that means that you cannot be personal with somebody when you do not have the relevant context about that individual a segmented uh, approach could be a one-to-one segmented approach for example but for me personalization is an added layer of context that enables you to communicate in a personable way. I don't know enough about you, for example, Nicholas, that I can be personable with you. I can say that I really like your headphones and it looks like you've got a sure microphone there and your wallpaper's a little bit trippy. That's not really me being personal with you. So I I need more context from you in order to know, you know, your birthday, the fact that you've got a little boy who woke you up at 5.30 this morning. Those types of things are context- dependent um, sentences that enable me to have a personal conversation with you. That's what I'm trying to talk about here is that personalization is nothing more than a communication strategy, not an optimization strategy.
0: Maybe it won't be a really big problem for D2C brands, but how would... AI or the D2C brands find the underlying patterns of, of personalization for, for their customers and how to find a fine line between scare the
1: customers and uh, and care about the customers. Well, that's, that's creepiness, right? And I find creepiness a really interesting concept because it's so subjective. What's creepy to me is different than what's creepy to you, for example, and I feel as though As a general rule of thumb, it's been proven that the more transparent brands are in their personalization efforts, so why they're doing what they're doing, the better. There was a known study back in the 80s called compound critiquing, which is basically a series of recommendations with context behind them, i.e. this is why I'm recommending this product. And it was shown to have a 15% uplift in uptake of those products. In trust of them, in the authority of the individual, the brand that was referencing those products, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, revenue. Where has that gone? Why do we not do compound critiquing anymore? Why do we not show why we're recommending what we're recommending? We have the data. Why do we not show it? And I feel as though the answer is twofold. It's either A seen as too, being too creepy, or B, people just think that by showing a recommendation is good enough so for example facebook used to have the why am i seeing you this ad under the drop down they no longer have that it's a when well, they actually do have it it's very vague and it's very hard to find it's like because you are a man from the uk that's why we're recommending these things um, so back to back to your question I feel as though the notion of creepiness I would always err on the side of the more transparent the better and I'd always err on the side of what is the value exchange that you're receiving are you getting usefulness out of sharing your that data or is it just the fact that I as a company want to get your data
0: that's a really big difference and it is also a big difference that how to gain the customers trust maybe that was my questions before but how to how to gain it? How to gain this customer trust so it, it was a dilemma for facebook also but i will get this dilemma for you so if you would be a d2c brand how, how would you gain the customer trust with with personalization would you show this stuff that you've you've discovered or not
1: absolutely i think we go back to those two attributes of care and competency can you help and will you help and it's very easy for brands to show that they can help but it's very difficult for brands to show that they want to help i would demonstrate I would try try and ask the question, how can you demonstrate care in what you're doing? How can you demonstrate that you generally want to help? I mean, an example would be uh, banks. Banks are like the antithesis of any kind of personalization practitioner's uh, dream because (laughs) they they can absolutely help they secure your money but what they do with it how they treat you as an individual i mean there's a reason why they have the lowest nps scores in any kind of industry Uh, i think it's an nps of five not like nps matters but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so yeah i I think in order to demonstrate trust it's a combination of can you help and will you help care and competence yeah for banks
0: it's like uh, they could help but they won't because because they want to make money out of you
1: well exactly yeah the same with phone companies there's a reason why they tie you into to long-term deals and what have you and what's interesting is that companies like apple the most valuable company in the world they have a uh, persona of caring they have a demonstration of being personable in their approach but do not mistaken their need to just make nothing but money then their, their, their uh, demonstration of competence but it's in their tone of voice it's in how they communicate themselves. It's in, you know, they, they have this underlying like purpose behind caring for customer that comes from Steve Jobs, or at least that's, that's their persona so how can you be more like apple i think is a much more valuable question than say how can you be more like amazon yeah
0: how could you be more care bear <laughs> i like it yeah why do we want
1: uh, a shop to be more personalized
0: for for ourselves why, why isn't just enough that they will sell phones and that's all
1: because we want a relationship with brands as much as we want a relationship with humans we want a relationship with brands we want to be seen and heard we want to be not, we don't want to be sold to, that's for certain. We want a relationship, we want a level of intimacy. Uh, Susan Frenier spoke about this, uh, a widely known brand psychologist uh, back in 98, of how we need intimacy, what she called a relationship with brands. And I think that's the answer right there, is that the reason why the hype has never subsided is because in real life we sell in a personable format we create relationships with the person that we're buying a car from as slimy as they may be when we're going into hotel chocolat and buying some chocolate we might ask questions or we are in control as the consumer as to whether we should ask the question or not and that control is slightly imbalanced when it comes to uh, an online environment for example You know, those persuasive pop-up techniques that you see all the time about them being however many left in stock. That's inappropriate for the vast majority of people that come onto your site. So we would never do something like that in real life. I think it comes down to context, listening, appropriateness, sincerity, being helpful. Uh, That is why we like a personal touch so much we want to be seen we want to not be sold to we want a relationship could you tell me some uh,
0: examples from brands that they make campaigns personalized campaigns maybe with pop-ups or with other other messages on site that are good and caring and competent sure one of
1: my one of my favorite ones that i generally use as an example is bloom and wild they're a uk florist and uk retailer that sell flowers and on mother's day they started a campaign back in 2019 called the thoughtful marketing movement which is all rooted in care. And this isn't an example of being personalized. It's actually an example of segmentation, but because it's so rooted in empathy, I really like the example. And on Mother's Day, unfortunately, not everybody does have a mother and it could be quite a triggering experience for some people. And so they allowed you to opt out of not just marketing communication, but website communication about uh, this kind of triggering event on Mother's Day, if indeed you did or you did not have a mother. I think that goes to demonstrate real care an understanding of their audience. There's a concept in our, you know, commercial world, I don't know if you feel it, where more is more, where acquisition is sexier than retention. Where it doesn't matter if I'm focusing on the quality of people, just so long as I get more in the top of the funnel, you know, ultimately more will drip out. For me, that's the antithesis of care. That's all about competence. And what Bloom and Wild did is I said, no, no, no. We're going to focus on the quality of people and also care for those who are never going to purchase anyways. I think, you know, it's a really good example of care over competence. Maybe not necessarily one of personalization, but certainly one of relationship marketing. Hmm. What do you think? How could brands
0: start with personalization? And the other question is, how would it solve the growth
1: of a brand? Maybe from the start. Good questions. Uh, Well, let's tackle one by one. So how would they start with personalization? It comes back to purpose. Why are you doing what you're doing? It comes back to understand what personalization is not. It is not just recommendations, for goodness sake. How can you get, it's about being personable and getting close to your customer. And for that, when I mentioned before about the missing ingredient being context, I would also basically say that in order for brands to get started with personalization, if you understand the purpose, what you should be doing is looking at the intent of your audience. Now, I'm a little bit biased here. I've created a platform uh, with my team. and have got some funding behind it that allows you to understand the the intent of your audience that's online. So I am biased, but I believe in it so much. If you understand where the user is on the other side of the screen, in their buying phase, and what the little micro signals they are doing in giving to you, where they are in that phase, or what level of intent they have to make that purchase, you can be appropriate in your messaging. You can know whether they have just landed, they don't know what a scoop the scooby-doo is about your brand or what kind of products you want. Don't shove 10% discounts down their face. Educate them about your products and about your brand and where you come from. And the same is true at the other side of the fence. If they're going to purchase, don't upsell them left, right, and center. Just leave them a hell alone. Let them get on with their job. So I always recommend understanding intent as like a really core concept, listening to your users. And that can just be done in microsignals. You know, when I'm talking to you right now, there's the famous, see if I get this combination right, is it 7, 55 rule? I think that makes 100. Uh, whereby, uh, so what I'm saying to you, only 7% of the meaning is communicated through my voice. 55% is in body language and 38% is in tone of voice. But what we're doing, Made with intent is helping you understand that over 93 percent the 55 and the, the 38 yeah that's 93 and what brands are doing they're only listening to the seven percent they what comes out from what people say so sorry a bit of a long-winded answer but basically I'm all for understanding customer intent. And you do not have to ask the customer explicitly where they are in their buying phase in order to discern that. You can understand their implicit actions, the signals that they give you, which allows you as a retailer to be more appropriate to their needs at that point in time. Basically, stop shoving 10% discounts down people's throat. Stop shoving social proof down people's throat just because it works for the masses yet impacts the few. You can tell I'm quite passionate about this just because I feel like we're living in a homogenized world where every website is the same and where everybody tends to focus on converting the 2% and ignoring the other 98% we need more bloom and wilds in this world basically Yeah. the strategy that you mentioned it really requires a cool head it does I think it requires a lot of balls because you're basically focusing on the quality of your traffic not just the quantity of it I mean what happens when you say your conversion rate is down everyone has a knee-jerk reaction and panics and offers a discount code to the majority of people so conversion rate goes back up it's such an aggregated metric why are we focusing in this? Like, what? We're in 2023, for goodness sake. Your conversion rate is down because the composition of your traffic is of a lower quality than what it was yesterday, last week, or last year. It's all to do with the level of intent users have in order to make a purchase. And I feel when we look at conversion rate, this aggregated, rare, retrospective metric, it feels... As though like we're only trying to convert the 2%, not focusing on the 98% that don't. It's for the it's a metric design for the business not to understand customer quality or satisfaction.
0: How would you start giving advice for a brand who did all the things completely in another way that you're supposed to? So they didn't care, they didn't have the competence or they didn't give a crap about uh, personalization. How would you say to them that it, it's good for you? Or just not these people, but who are in 50 50 like okay should i do personalization i don't know this works and i don't want to get into personalization because maybe it hurt it will hurt my brand or something like that
1: i think a lot of people are like that I think you know there's a stat by gartner that say 80 percent of all marketers will abandon personalization in just the next two years for goodness sake uh, i think ai will help that a little bit i think it will decrease the effort um and there's a lot of people that i spoke to have what i would call ptsd personalization traumatic stress disorder i.e they've already tried it uh they failed and therefore won't try it again. And I feel as though to those people, I would really just question why they were personalizing in the first place and just get to the nub of it. So again, I just want to reiterate, personalization is a communication layer. It's just about being more personable. You're going to hate me if I forget that your kid woke you up at 5.30 a.m. this morning, or I just didn't listen to anything that you're saying because I want to push, I don't know, what I want to sell or my book or my new business or whatever it might be. It feels shit. <laughs> well, brands are the same. There's a reason why we hate banks. There's a reason why we hate mobile phone contracts. The reason why we generally hate or we blame people who, uh, you know, dpd and yodel and people who deliver packages for us one bad experience does not equate to 100 good experiences it equates to a thousand good experiences and it could really derail you so to those people i would just question what their original purpose was because i think it won't be rooted in what personalization should be which is just about being personable with one another
0: if you had the time and energy to write another book about personalization, <laughs> it's a silly
1: question there's no sequel <laughs> it's not going to happen again it was really hard to do <laughs> or a larger course about personalization I don't know something like that what would be the title of it what do you think I mean my book is called the person in personalization but it'd be something rooted in just being more human having more empathy you know it's it's fascinating isn't it that in our society emotional intelligence has become a thing and where we understand now that intelligence is not just your IQ, but it's it's also there's so much more to it. You know, there's EQ, for example. And um, so I think airing more on the side of how can you understand, how can you listen, how can you have more empathy. Maybe I've had too much therapy. Um, <laughs> I, I think would yeah, that's a thing. Probably, you know, I'd probably go down that route. Basically, I feel like I've been burnt so many times in the past by maybe just working in, in e-commerce for so long. My personalization. Who knows. But I have a real chip on my shoulder.
0: I also get rid of all my all my previous three written questions, so that we should have a conversation. Yeah, that sounds, sounds good. So I want to give some seeds and nutrition for D2C brands to grow, and I will ask quick questions from you, and I want some quick answers. What books other than yours, or what influencers would you recommend to read for a D2C brand or follow?
1: I like reading books that are outside of the sphere to allow you to get more um, because creativity comes from other industries and applying that to your industry. So Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. Is probably my number one book uh, that I've read a few times. Let My People Go Surfing by the founder of Patagonia, I thought it was an excellent book. Again, all about uh, emotional complexity. So I I like, yeah, reading other people's books and how that applies to my industry. Yeah.
0: The second is what is the biggest mistake that D2C brands could make? A single biggest one in terms of personalization.
1: Well, I obviously think an overemphasis on competency and an underindex on care. So I will just rephrase it as forgetting who the hell you're selling to
0: hmm And could you tell me your quick growth tip? related to personalization that they could apply the next day that they listen to our podcast?
1: There's a belief that having inserting the customer's first name into an email subject line or whatever is not personalization. I disagree. I think it's a first step towards personalization because I think it indicates familiarity. It's acknowledgement and familiarity. There's so much within a person's name. There's a reason why Tom Cruise is the most popular actor in the world is because he remembers everybody's names. If you look at any of the famous leaders, from Sir Alex Ferguson to Howard Schultz to Steve Jobs, they all have one thing in common, and that's they remember people's names. So for goodness sake, use people's names. It is very, very useful. And there's so much evidence behind that. So yeah, my advice would be, use people's names. (laughs) Yeah, it is, Daniel.
0: No? Okay. You are David. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) People call me Dan all the time, oddly. I think it's the DNA. I don't know. DNA. That's good. And the last question is, what tools would you use as a DTC brand for growth or for personalization? Are there any tools that you would recommend?
1: I'm not going to recommend mine because I think that's self-serving. Um, but I mean... What I- is yours? <laughs> well, my, mine's called Made with Intent and it, does, it helps you understand your visitor's intent, which enables you to personalize. But you know, a big shout out to companies like Dynamic Yield. Uh, they are... In my opinion, one of the best personalization platforms out there. They've got the financial and also data laden windfall from MasterCard and who knows a consumer better than, well, being honest, a bank or a payment provider. They know what you spend and they can they can garner that level of information for you. So yeah, so I, I would I'd give a huge shout out to Dammit Yield. Good guys as well.
0: Thank you, David, for accepting my call and giving this an tremendous amount of value for the listeners.
1: It's okay. Thank you very much. And
0: don't forget to try these tips today! For more seeds and nutrition stay tuned for the next episode!